Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia Frigo, Senior Content Producer and Editor of the Booktopian blog. Uh, joining me today is Ben Hunter, our Fiction Category Manager. Hi, Ben. Hi, Olivia. Uh, we have Joe Lewin, our Head of Trade Product. Hi, Joe. Hey, Liv. And finally, we have our Campaigns Coordinator, Ashley Berry. Welcome, Ash. Hey. Uh, so around 7am this morning, Sydney time, the winner of the 2020 Booker Prize was announced to the world. Uh, Scottish-American author Douglas Stewart has won the prize for his novel Shuggy Bane, uh, which is set in Glasgow in 1981, and it follows a woman who's struggling with addiction, and it's all about her relationship with her children, in particular the titular Shuggy Bane. Uh, so I don't know if you guys recall, but in our previous book of podcasts, we went all in for some very different authors. We were picking Brandon Taylor for real life and Zitsi Dangaranga for, um, no, not nervous conditions. What was it? This mournable body. Mournable body. Yeah. Sorry. Um, turns out that we were all completely wrong. So first of all, yeah, do you look, like and what I would you like to, I would like to clarify and say that I was rooting for Shuggy all along, but I didn't think <laughs> that, um, I didn't think that he would win because I guess I, I just didn't, I didn't think that they would have the courage to choose a white man. Um, you know, like it's, it's been a while since a white man has, has won the booker and, you know, yes, this book, um, you know, champions the, the working class and it's about a very specific, uh, group in society. But I guess I was just second guessing how political the, um, uh, the decision-making might be. Um, but the judges were really, really clear in their statement that they just, um, they tried to put all of that aside and um, focus on the books and focus on the works that they were actually judging. Um, and this was the book that they landed on apparently in like an hour and unanimously. So That's pretty um, cool. it's pretty cool. Hey, whereas obviously yeah. last year when there was a tie, um, there, there were maybe perhaps some heated words about who, who should win. Um, you know, apparently this year it was, it was cut and dry. It's a nice change and a bit of a, like, stuff you to everyone that was like, oh, the, the shortlist was just picked politically because they wanted non-white people on it. You know, it's nice to say, well, look, they had such a racially diverse shortlist on a book based on the merit of the book too. You can have diversity in your, like, within the prize as well as literary merit, um, which is nice to see. Yeah, uh, I think I think the really exciting and interesting thing uh, for our winner is that it's a debut novel and it's one of a, a short list of many debut novels, which is a, a big contrast to uh, last year's prize, uh, two very, very uh, solidly founded uh, lifelong career authors uh, taking out the joint prize. Uh, this year went to a debut and I, I think it's, I, I can't remember the first time it's gone to, the last time it went to a debut. Yeah, I think that's really, really exciting um, for debut authors everywhere to, um, and it really, um, to me, speaks to how democratic the judging process obviously is because we saw some really heavy hitters um, in the long list, particularly Hilary Mantow, Colin McCann, um, and Tyler, um, but, you know, when you strip away the canon of work that those authors, you know, deserve all praise for um, and just look at the individual books, I think this one's really, really deserving. 
yeah, and not only is it exciting uh, for the prize, it's it's exciting for readers. It, it, it's showing yeah. that there's there's this huge um, new talent out there. Um, there's 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 so many um, great uh, new stories to come, uh, and more authors to discover. It's 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 um, it's very uh, it's very elating for me. It is. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. And let's also not forget that the Booker Prize winner takes home £50,000 in prize money. Uh, how valuable do we think that would be to a debut author like uh, Douglas Stewart? I'm going to say very. very. I think he's very <laughs> happy with that money. I think he'll be, he'll be taking that cheque to the bank um, with a big smile on his face. And not just the cheque for um, the, the prize itself, but, I mean, as we saw last year with Bernadine Evaristo, even though um, Bernadine was an established author, um, her books would generally come out, um, you know, to some, some modest uh, critical acclaim and the sales would yep. be pretty, um, pretty quiet. Um, you know, she, she shared the prize, obviously, with Margaret Atwood. The Testaments was a blockbuster from the word go, but Bernadine's novel came out very quietly. Then she won the joint booker and that book absolutely took off and for a whole 12 months up until now um that's been selling it's been a bestseller for us and i think everywhere everywhere around the world yes so how fantastic for for douglas stewart that he's um he's come out with this debut no novel that he apparently um spent 10 years writing it's um you know autobiographical so all of this heartbreaking um stuff that happens in the novel, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later on, um, that's all drawn from his, his own life, not unlike our own dearly beloved uh, Trent Dalton when he wrote Voice Follows Universe and really drew from his own childhood and made something beautiful out of that. Um, so he's put all of his work into it. It was released. He, he expected, I mean, Ben and I were talking about this earlier, he expected this book to kind of come out and just you know, sit around in a few indie bookstores and then fade into the background. And now um, we're pretty safe to say that it's on, on track to being a bestseller. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's been something that the shortlistees have consistently been saying in the media is, um, as particularly the debuts, is that um, it's given their books a chance um, in a year when no, there's, there's no books being hand-sold um, to readers in, in bookshops in, in Europe in North America it's it's mm. just a, it's a dire time to be putting out this precious bit of work um, and so for this prize to give a platform to these particularly the debuts and and particularly you know queer voices and, and people authors of color uh, that's that's really exciting that's really huge yeah yeah I just want to focus on the Scottishness of this novel because Douglas Stewart is uh, Scottish-American. I believe he's only the second Scottish author to ever win this prize after James Kellerman in 1994. Um, this seems like such a quintessentially Scottish novel in place but also voice um, and it's also been described as like a counterpart to you know the privileged Thatcher era London. Um, what really spoke to you guys about this novel in terms of that sense of place and time uh, yeah, um, I, I can't find the quote um, on the tip of my tongue right now, but there was a fabulous quote. Oh, here, here it is from Kate Evans um, from Radio National. Uh, she said, this is a novel you can hear as you read it, heavy with Glasgow accents and extravagant with swearing. 
cursing, unemployment, and useless husbands, and lack of food, and a woman who looks at your man the wrong way. It also has a smell of the dregs of beer and last night's grease, poverty, and sadness. And Oof. I think that really um, encapsulates the book. Like it really is. There's um, the you have to get used to the the um, dialect that um, everybody like the the book itself is written in um, in plain English, but the um, the um, the dialogue is all in uh, in Scottish language. Glaswegian. Glaswegian, yep. Um, and you know, you can like the the smell of warm cans of beer kind of seem to impregnate every page. You can taste the fish and chips in your mouth as that you know Saturday night treat for Shuggy and his family. Um, it really embodies a, a time and place um, and a, a state of being of being you know of being a child and and taking in the culture of that time. Mm -hmm. Ash, you've just uh, put a um, glowing review on our blog uh, for this book. What, what were your impressions? Mm -hmm. um, well, firstly, I've just been enjoying listening to you two talk about yeah. it. It's been really, <laughs> uh, <laughs> been really um, enjoyable since I spent the whole morning in my thoughts on this book. Um, I, I definitely agree that for me personally, this book was a huge standout in the shortlist. I'm almost finished the last book of the shortlist. I can't say for certainty, but yeah, if I had to put put my bets on, this would have been a top contender personally. Um, but just on the topic of Scotland and the place and the language, that was uh, personally, yeah, such a huge, huge element of this book and what made it what it was, you know, reading them, speaking with that, you know, Scottish inflection or sound, it, it really helped me to read aloud certain parts to really, I don't know, get into the, the book. And from there, it was just kind of, you know, clear sailing where I could consume it quite quickly and really, like Joe said, understand the setting, the, the, the beer in particular. Yeah, for some reason that hit me when she would be searching for the old warm beer cans around the house I just yeah. immediately could I could smell that house and I just knew exactly what that setting was and then I felt so much more for Shuggy as a character that he lives in that yeah. and it, it just it hit really hard this book um yeah yeah one of the Absolutely. one of the, the the things that I've been hearing from the the judging panel um is this these kind of classic phrases of of critique and and um and, and just kind of book selling oomph is is phrases like uh um uh, impeccable characterization and immaculate sense of place and uh i think one of the phrases was the sheer heart of the novel uh, was one of the things they said in their feedback and these all ring bells to me as you know, all the things that booksellers get behind and, and lovers of great fiction get behind do you guys think that this is going to take off now that it's won this huge prize and it's going to find its way into you know stacks in bookshops and into the hands of um, hundreds of thousands of readers around the world is it going to pick up as a popular phenomenon i think so i think so i think it's really um it's hard not to love the characters the characters in particular i mean the sense of place is like a a kind of anti-tourism because um, you know the outskirts of Glasgow in the 1980s is not anywhere that you would actually want to uh, 
go and live. It's it's colourful for sure, but it's uh, it's certainly not pleasant. But the the characterisation is just um, to me a really fantastic novel. Is where you can you can watch these people making these horrible horrible choices, and you know that you can you know you can look at them and say. Agnes in particular, the, the Shuggy's mother. Yep. You look at her and you say, look, she's she's done some pretty some pretty terrible things to her children. Um, but at the same time, you're on her side. You really want her to um, to improve her life, which she strives to do throughout the whole book. She strives so hard to improve her life, but she's struggling against, you know, her own poor choices, her socioeconomic mm. um, situation and um, and her addiction to alcohol. Um, and you know, sometimes she makes really bad choices. Sometimes really bad choices are made for her. But you you keep rooting for her all along. It would be easy, I th e a lot easier to write a book where Agnes comes off as um, as a tyrant and a neglectful mm. mother. But it's written with such love um, that she really comes across as very very nuanced. Mm. Yeah, and. I also think it's significant that it's set like not too far from today. Like mm. I was about to say like 20 years, but it's more like 40. Um, so it's set in the eighties, um, yeah. which like we were talking earlier about, you know, like what is the value of a book like this set in such in, in the, like the sons of Glasgow in the eighties, what's the value of that? Sound, that sounds awful. Like, you know, what's the value of a book like that to a contemporary reader? But mm. why do you think that, um, contemporary readers are latching onto this book in this way. Like, what is it? What, how is it speaking to us? What is it saying? Well, I think yeah. that the, the setting of Glasgow in the eighties is perfect because it's real. It's real to to Douglas's lived experience, you know. And as someone who um, was alive in the eighties, thank you very much for pointing out, <laughs> Olivia, how long ago that was. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it was a different time. But at the same time, not such a different time, you know, like we've had um, a period of such, um, of such um, prosperity since the 80s. Um, you know, Thatcher, Thatcher Britain seems like such a harsh environment. Um, but then when you look at Trump America and Trump slash Biden America at the moment, you're seeing, um, you're seeing similar patterns of, um, you know, rich and poor divide of political unrest of, you know, fighting in the streets um, that I think it's timely to look back at the 80s. Yeah, we're really not that far from it, are we? We have all these no. new gizmos and our cars have more airbags, but that's about it. Yeah. Mm. I think the, um, the, the core themes in this is, you know, the addiction, the poverty, the kind of trying to make ends meet when you've got kids and a family and unemployment is your life is just rife now you know we're currently seeing really high unemployment levels what will people turn to if they can't you know put food on the table and That's it's right. yeah we see those those core themes just uh everlasting so that's the value yeah, i'd say for now it's interesting thinking about that that philosophy of thatcherism and an attitude to poverty, which I think is very prevalent and, and gets under people's skin and they, they subscribe to it without even uh, realising this attitude that, that poverty is a moral issue, 
that that someone's inability to have personal wealth is a moral failing. Um, and mm. you know, as you were alluding to earlier, Joe, it would be a very easy story to write um, a mother who is totally morally corrupt for not mm. being able to provide for her son. Um, but of course, uh, Douglas has lived that life and he's, he's had that experience and he, he knows the true nuance of it and he knows the reality. And everyone I know who's grown up in poverty uh, has, has that nuanced experience. And it's, it's, it's so traumatising to think about, um, but it's so much more than that classic, Breakdown that we have that it, that mm. it's a that's somehow just a moral failing to be poor yeah. in and of itself. And so I think a really important book for people to read, you know, people who perhaps um, haven't grown up in in poverty, haven't experienced poverty, and haven't known people who've grown up in poverty. It's easy to think, um, you know, unemployed alcoholic mothers are bad people. But when you read a book like this, you start to realise um, that, you know, the choices that they make are not always choices. A lot of the time they're made from having never had any other um, role model, never having any other example to strive to, and just um, doing the best with the tools that they're given by the society they live in. Um, so I think it, it, it can help us all be, um, be more compassionate to people who have different opportunities to us. Yeah, when you think about it that way, it's, it's, it's remarkably not even that different from Mantell's Cromwell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's just trying to get by, you know? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, I'm interested, Ash, in this, the last line of your review, you said it's a story that needed to be told and one that I needed to read. Um, Oh, yeah. Well, there's always that idea that, yeah. yeah, sorry, you go. No, I was going to say that's kind of been my whole <laughs> pitch since I've read this book. Um, the way I've kind of sum up how I feel about it is this really, I don't really gravitate towards historical fiction or, you know, this kind of fiction. So to me, um, I loved about it. You're childhood, Ash. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, it's, it's technically historical fiction. Um, I didn't know much about this uh, 80s, you know, in Scotland and about the struggles, you know, I've heard of it, but this was such a wake up to that. And even though, yes, it's technically historical fiction, like we said, it's not that far away. So it's, it's one that needed to be told for people now to understand what current people have gone through and what our recent histories are to kind of understand you know our future and our present mm. and where I sit on that is I needed to read it just personally you know I, like I said I don't gravitate towards this um, niche genre and I feel it's it's different after reading it now you know I've I've learned things I probably needed to I've read about a life I will never experience, but I needed to be aware of. And mm -hmm. I think, like we said, it, it kind of instills that compassion to understand these are, this is a fiction, but it's based on, you know, real things that happen and real people went through this. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, that's what I took away from. It's like, I needed to read this to now have this deeper understanding of just 
the world I live in and the people mm. I could pass. You know, this was just one country in that era, but I, I doubt it was the only place experiencing these situations. Mm. So keeping that yeah. in mind, that's, that's kind of how I sum it up. I needed to read this book and it's a story that needed to be told. And I think wow. another interesting um, and a really interesting perspective, Ash, um, you know, it was only 40 years ago, um, mm. but people's attitudes towards mental illness and addiction were so different. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. that our current society has a perfect attitude towards men mental illness and addiction. There's still a lot of um, stigma out there. Um, but, you know, you look at the lives of these people and there is no... Um, there's no support. There's, there's, there's nothing there, you know, like um, Agnes uh, joins a 12 step program, I think at one stage, does she? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, she's very, she's very isolated. There's very little um, assistance out there for her to turn her life around and her, um, her peers in her local neighborhood, alcoholism is just endemic. You know, mm -hmm. like the, it's just, it's just a given that ev sort of everyone is, um, is, uh, mired in um, in alcohol, and there's there's no um, no even attempt to pull themselves out of it because it's it's um, just culturally um, culturally appropriate for that group of people. So clearly, this is a novel that's dealing with some really heavy topics. But the impression that I'm getting from you know from all of you who've read the book is that it's immensely readable and there's like a beautiful like thread of hope running through it as well. So I love that it's got that balance of, you know, literary um, achievement and brilliance, but also commercial appeal. Like, yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's topically tough, mm. but reading it, I had no issue, even with, like we said, the dialect being quite Scotlandy. It was a really easy read mm. and, um, which I think does really help when you're dealing with such tough topics, you know, nothing really is off limits in this book. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I get, um, I get accused by uh, some members of Booktopia's team um, of always gravitating towards super depressing books. Um, <laughs> but a book like this, it sounds like it's going to be super depressing, right? Poverty, alcoholism, addiction. Mm. Um, but Overall, I find this book uplifting and hopeful because Shuggy is just such a resilient kid. Um, he struggles through, you know, not, not to mention the fact that, you know, which we haven't really touched on yet, he's growing up as a, as a queer kid in, in Scotland in this in, intensely macho um, environment. Um, but all through it, he, he just has, he has this fantastic resilience and this, um, this strength to continue to improve his life and this enduring love of his mother, um, that just, you finish the book feeling quite hopeful for Shuggy and for, and for society and humankind, because, you know, if someone can endure all of that and still come out of it with a smile on their face, then there's hope for us all. That's interesting. I finished the book and I personally was like, Oh, this is quite hopeless, you know, I oh. felt quite run down and it's not until, you know, it's one of those stories that doesn't leave your mind. So I kept thinking about it and my post reading emotions didn't quite fit that immediate 
emotion of hopelessness. And that's when I realized, you know, yeah, like you said, Shaggy's perseverance, you know, is very hopeful in the face of all he endures, both at home and with, you know, the neighborhood and other kids his age. Um, Plus, you know, I found myself, I guess, like people in that time, holding on to hope for more Mm. and hope for something different. You know, as I'm reading it, I'm just, like I think we said before, hopeful for Agnes. I really, I I was hopeful for her to, get better, you know, to seek improvement. I was hopeful for Shaggy, you know, to to come into his own and kind of feel better in himself and his life. And I think that's what's carried through afterwards. It's just mm. I maintained that hope that the characters themselves had. Well, the good news there is that, um, you know, I think Douglas has, um, has acknowledged that Shaggy is kind of a little bit Dougie. Um, and that, you know, he, he went on to become a, a fashion designer in New York, write a book, win the Booker Prize. You know, he, he certainly has, uh, has come a long way from that uh, very different kid in Glasgow. There's something like almost Dickensian about, and I've seen, I can't remember which reveal it was or where, which publication it was in, but it called it Neo Dickensian. Yeah. Um, and it, do, it really does sound like, you know, a Great Expectations Pip story, but there's no, like, kind of horrible sense of, like, you know, this kid made it out, so you all should too, as we've said. Um, and there's, like, a real, it sounds like there's a real authenticity about it, you know, like, the dialect makes sense, whereas sometimes when an author writes in a dialect that they don't act, or, like, writes with an accent, you know, it's one of the most cringeworthy, awful things you could ever read. Um, so I'm glad that there's that thread of authenticity and hope coming through. Um, yeah. I think we're overdue for some at the end of this year. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so um, we don't want to go on for too much longer, but um, I kind of just want to, I know it's early days, but we've had a few hours since it was announced. Um, what's the response been like from readers and I guess customers? Um, have we seen an uptick in the book? Is it, is it trending? Like... It's got um, the little flame the on our, yeah, it, it, it has a little flame on our website, which means lots of people are clicking on it and buying it. Um, I've been onto the publisher all morning um, trying to organise stock. Um, so it's always a very busy day uh, when the book gets announced in the UK overnight. Uh, um, and, you know, it's a very early morning and uh, I'll be very excited to see how it continues to go <laughs> over the next few days. It's also been really exciting to see, I'll, I'll add to that, um, as a little insider bookseller perspective that um, for Booktopia sales, the whole shortlist has, has really had a lift on, on last year um, in terms of the uptick um, in the titles following their listing, which is great to see um, given the, the debut and outsider nature of, of these mm. authors and their books. Um, maybe, maybe it's the, maybe it was the X factor of, they all managed to beat Hilary Mantel, yeah. which gave it a big rubber stamp of <laughs> approval. Um, yeah. I certainly think there's, uh, there's, there's nothing uh, more I need to hear um, than uh, you know, uh, a panel of very qualified judges saying that these, these six books are, are better than Hilary Mantel. You can read them and I'll, I'll go buy those. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, yeah, we, we do always see that big uptick when it's debut authors mm. because it's, so, like, it's, it's from knowing nothing to knowing having this huge rubber stamp on things. 
Um, they were mm. talking to different previous winners of the prize uh, at the start of the ceremony. And one of them uh, over a live stream was uh, Kazu Ishiguro, who's one of my favorite authors of all time. And he was discussing, uh, he, well, he was contrasting uh, winning the Booker with winning the Nobel Prize um, and how very differently both prizes are treated. Um, but he was also, he, he was suggesting that there's a kind of a, a fourth level to uh, a Booker win uh, or the Booker sort of process. You know, there's, there's the, the long list, the short list, the eventual win. But then he, he alluded to a kind of fourth stage in which the book goes out into the wider audience and, and becomes like an international bestseller. And, you know, out of that, some books go on to become, you know, generational um, uh, landmark novels and some of them, uh, you know, sell very well and then sort of fade away into the wayside. And it's, um, he says, you know, the, the next challenge for the authors is to come um, and to celebrate this moment and to look forward to, you know, trying to achieve that, that, that next step. So I'm, I'm excited to see how, how, the, mm. how the book goes in, in months and years to come. Absolutely, absolutely, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I've heard that um, that Douglas is writing novel number two, and I will be awaiting, um, awaiting that with bated breath. Um, you know, hopefully, this is the beginning of a of a great literary talent. I hope we hear a lot more from from Douglas Stewart. Yeah, um, I don't want to keep us uh, all here for too much longer. Um, so before we wrap up, uh, final thoughts on Shaggy Bane? Uh, read it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think it's um, great. Yeah, like if, if you've ever wondered what it's like to be a queer child in Scotland in the 80s, even if you haven't, I think you need to read the book. You know, as Ash said, it's a, it's the, it's, it's a book that changes you and it's a book that you um, that you need to read to understand the world better. No, I was just gonna say, um, yeah, I, I would recommend it for even your next book club or something like that, because personally there's so many things to unpack. You know, I didn't even discuss every single relationship in this book is so complicated. I could spend an hour discussing the intricacies of that. So yeah. I think this book is a lot more than it appears to be. And I think it's well worth your time to discover it. Uh, fair enough, can't get higher praise than that. Um, thank you all for joining me today to chat about this wonderful book. It's currently sitting in my cart, haven't checked out yet, uh, but I think I definitely will because I want to read this and I'm sure that everyone listening at home will want to read this too. Um, so if that's you, you can order your copy of Shuggy Bane from booktopia.com.au uh, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.
www.sbs.com.au